Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 348 with my guest, Fielding Edlow. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. Uh, the show is not meant to be a substitute for uh, professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Uh, the website for this show is mentalpod.com. Mentalpod is also the uh, Twitter handle and uh, the Instagram handle. Um, before I forget, um, I mentioned on last week's episode that there's a listener named Sam who is doing his PhD dissertation on how this podcast helps people, and he could use uh, some more people filling out a survey that he has. So I'm going to put that survey link under the show notes on our website for this episode, and if you could uh, take it, that would help greatly. It only takes about five or ten minutes. It's totally anonymous, and... Um, I think both of us would be uh, grateful to you. I want to remind you, LA PodFest is October 6th through 8th. We're going to be there doing a live show. Put a link to all that info on the website. And I'm going to be in Minneapolis, or or is it St. Paul? I forget which one. Uh, I don't want to pick sides. On October 14th, uh, we're doing a daytime recording of the podcast at Sisyphus Brewery. And uh, then... That night, I'll be emceeing a show, um, one of their comedy shows there at the brewery, and I'll put a link on the website uh, to that as well. Uh, I wanted, at, at my support groups uh, this week, there were some great topics, and I, the topic of black and white thinking uh, came up, and somebody put it so succinctly. They said, my instinct, not me, them, my instinct is to look at every future event as if it's my salvation or my demise, and it's never either of them. And I was like, oh my God, that is such a perfect way to put that. Um, and then the other subject that came up 
that really got me thinking is the subject of self-love. You know, we hear it a lot, people saying, you know, you should love yourself more. You should forgive yourself, uh, you know, or that person. Yeah, but how do you fucking do it? It is so hard to do that. And I want to share just briefly for me what has worked in helping me move towards loving myself. I'm, I do love myself, okay? I have pockets of deep self-loathing and self-doubt in there, almost like like pieces of Ben and Jerry's. You know, the ice cream is the self-love, and then you come upon a big uh, fudgy chunk of I'm a piece of shit. Uh, for me, cutting toxicity out of my life, even if it costs me money or it costs me a friendship, whatever, that has been the biggest single catalyst for growth in my life. If you can cut toxicity out of your life, be it in the form of a person, a job, um, an event, things you tell yourself that are negative, if you can cut these things out of your life, despite feeling guilty or selfish or full of yourself, you will begin to grow. You know, there's, there is a healthy selfish and there's an unhealthy selfish. And I think a lot of times we conflate the two. And a lot of the traditions that have been passed from one generation to the next, particularly those around organized religion, have damaged so many people because they tell you, you don't turn your back on your family no matter what. No, no, you, you should if, if they're not treating you with a baseline amount of respect. You should absolutely. In fact, you should turn your back on them and peel out and shoot gravel in their fucking lemonade. That might be a little extreme. Um, here's the other thing I've discovered in working towards self-love. If there, there is a momentum to recovery. There's also a momentum to depression and addiction and other things that can spin negatively. But for me, taking self-loving actions is like riding a bike. You start doing a couple of them. And before you know it, it's it becomes easier to do the next one. And I think it's because it as as we increase our self-esteem a tiny bit, it's that much easier to make the next decision to do something that's good for ourselves because we feel more worthy of it. And that's the good place to get to is where you feel worthy walking around in the world. And I think it radiates out into every area of our life when we feel worthy. We can accept the present without, you know, um, uh, accept a compliment, you know, without telling the other person they don't know what they're talking about. Um, we radiate an energy that attracts other people, you know, be it professionally, romantically, platonically. It all it all works in the in the right direction. So I hope that makes some sense. And if it doesn't, you know what? Go fuck yourself. Again, things are taking a, a terrible turn here. Um, <laughs> I want to tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp.com. I think I, I I think I need to talk to my uh, I need to talk to my therapist Donna tomorrow. Um, 
I've been using them for over a year, and uh, I love it. I love my therapist. She's awesome. We talk every Friday afternoon, and I am totally sold on online therapy. Um, go to betterhelp.com slash mental, fill out a questionnaire, and they'll match you up with a betterhelp.com counselor, and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is right for you. Uh, you need to be over 18. And I get feedback all the time from listeners that are checking it out and it's working for them. They found a counselor that they really like and they're experiencing that momentum in their lives that they're, they are beginning to see a light at the end of the tunnel, that they are not broken, that they just need to process what's happening in their life. And, uh, yeah, here is an awful moment. And this was filled out by, um, let's see, a guy who calls himself Air Sadness Bag. And, oh, one more thing I wanted to mention. This episode, I don't think I mentioned this yet, but this was recorded over a year ago. Um, and uh, so if you're like, what do you mean? Paul, Paul's talking about being married and Herbert's still alive. Yeah, so um, that was weird editing it. It was like, oh, I clicked on, uh, accidentally clicked on my uh, iPhoto uh, the other day, yesterday, and the first thing that came up was a picture of Herbert, and I just lost it. I I had to take pictures down in my apartment of him because it's it hurts to realize that I'm never going to see him again. I I did not experience this with our other dog when she died in '03. And she was an awesome dog. We had her for 14 years. I loved her. But there's something about Herbert that just, I don't know, maybe because I didn't have closure with it. I miss him. And um, and thank you for continuing to buy the uh, St. Herbert t-shirts. I mentioned, uh, I don't know, a couple of months ago that uh, the first time I see somebody wearing one of those, uh, I'm going to freak out and give them a hug. And I have the feeling I'm going to see somebody at Podfest wearing wearing one of those. I hope I do. Um, so this is a uh, a survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Air Sadness Bag, and he writes, "A few years ago, my dad died suddenly, and I flew back home to Las Vegas for the funeral. I hadn't seen or really talked to them in over 15 years, so it was pretty stressful." On the plane, a very attractive young woman sat next to me. She offered me gum and I declined. I'm pretty shy, so I didn't talk to her the rest of the flight. I spent the time reading a bad novel or just staring off into space, thinking. After the plane landed, we talked a bit before we could get off the plane. She told me that she had made a last-minute decision to fly into Vegas for her friend's bachelorette party, and she asked me why I was visiting. I told her I was going uh, home for family, and she asked me how long it had been since I'd been home. I told her it had been 15 years, and when she asked me why I was visiting, I just flatly told her that my father had died. She started to cry. I felt like a monster. Here, this girl was going off to have fun with her friends, and I've made her break out into tears. But she looked me right in the eyes and told me to, quote, get home safe. It really touched me to hear that. I hope she had a great time in Vegas, but I can tell you, baggage claim was awkward. I'm so scared of being alive and so scared of dying. 
I was so, so lonely, but I couldn't bear being around people, and it hurt. I've just been, like, very interested in dicks. I don't know how to let loose and just be. All my alters have different handwriting and different... Extremely anxious. Affects. I am most turned on when I am in fear. My first thought was I'm about to die. Stomach clutching despair. Ocean of sadness. I came out over the phone to them. I put myself on the Akazaya in fourth grade. They told me I was wrong. The secrecy is what kills us. And I just sat there and cried on his shoulder. And it was the first time I ever felt safe, like a weight lifted off of me. In order to get rid of your anger, you have to learn how to cry. I started liking myself for the first time. I'm afraid that people are only nice to me because they're afraid I'll kill myself if they're not. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> I'm here with Fielding Edlow, 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 mm-hmm. uh, who uh, I just met briefly. <laughs> um, we exchanged emails. You live here in Los Angeles. You're a comedian, a writer, an actor, and um, we got together, had a cup of coffee, and uh, you told me a little bit about your story, and I was like, stop. <laughs> Stop right there. Let's go record something. So where uh, where should we start? That's a great where, question. Where, you, where are you originally from? I grew up in New York City, in the city. In Manhattan? In Manhattan. Yeah. Where about? Uh, Upper East Side. Rich girl? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody, you, someone just said that I had a meeting with them. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah. What, what do you want me to say? Like, what did your parents do? Um, my dad... I uh, was with Bear Stearns for a really long time, okay. and so he's Wall Street guy. And my mother, it's very interesting, she became a... S- scoot up just a little bit, a little mother, closer to the mic. How's that? Yeah, it's good. My mother, let's see, she was home a lot, but then she decided she wanted to go after her calling, which was a therapist. Oh. So, right. So she, and then she got her PhD. Because she was, she's, and this is what she said, I want to be Dr. and Mr. Edlow. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So she did it. Yeah. She did it. She, you know, they're, they're, they're accomplished people. They're smart people. They, anyway, we'll get to their live and divorce. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, she became this, she, she's a, she, oh, and she sees patients in my old bedroom. So really? I go home where I, it was like a Dionysian hedonist, like whore's palace. And then she's like, oh, let me just, just be quiet because I'm seeing a patient today. <laughs> and like, literally it's where like havoc, like havoc. Was like, re- like what, like what kind of stuff went on there? <laughs> <laughs> well, I just was always ground. I was always locked in my, I was always grounded. They, cause I, and I was always sneaking out. So I would sneak people in, I'd smoke, I'd bring boot. Like it, I, I mean, I, I slept, I mean, I brought people home. How do you sneak somebody (laughs) into an apartment on the Upper East Side? Well, my that I was the talk of the doorman. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, but, but like you, when you live in the burbs, you sneak somebody in through your bedroom window. But your bedroom windows, well, I, I know, like they'd up? have to like repel. Or, right. like, well, I guess when I say that's funny, when I say sneak in, I mean sneak in be past my parents bedroom or that side of the apartment right and they would actually set an alarm which would go off if i wasn't home and so i'd and i'd like get so mad at my brother i'm like you didn't turn off my fuck the fucking alarm like that's what brothers and sisters do and he's like shut up (laughs) so yes that's how i I snuck people in yeah i did have a boyfriend it wasn't just like a total okay (laughs) and was um 
Were drugs a part of your story? Yes. Yes. Do you want to talk about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I am... Um, Mo, I didn't. Let's see. I I st- I did everything kind of early. I mean, drinking started for me. I mean, I feel like I became a full fledged alcoholic very early on. Like I don't ever remember having a beer because it was like let's have twelve more of these like right away. Even though I hated the taste. And then drugs. I remember trying acid at somebody's party, and then we kicked the guy out of the house, and we just took over this like huge apartment. <laughs> like we. I mean, it was mostly pot and shrooms i remember shrooming at the simon and garfunkel outdoor concert oh wow it was my first time i shroomed and it was like sixty thousand people there what an amazing concert it was too. yeah it was and, and we made i mean tea. that's like the central park concert when you that think was of the concert when you think yeah. of the most historic central park yeah. concert you think of that one that's right and i remember coming we were driving we were in all in a packed in this cab we made mushroom tea in my parents kitchen before and we were in this cab and we like and then i remember i was lying there and i couldn't get up <laughs> my mm. my friend's like you have to get up but it was that you know we had a lot of exciting moments like that that i was sort of awake for their memories but you know new york kid but drugs like coke coke really came into the picture senior year in college but i i guess i i guess i i did try it once or twice in high school but we weren't really doing coke that was more of a college thing and then definitely after where'd you go to school I went to college. I went to UPenn. Okay. And um, it's just senior year. It was sort of a little bit of a uh, free for all. I mean, I was. I mean, I was buying. I mean, I was buying from. I remember I was like outside the library where I should have been like studying. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and there's Ivy, you know, and yeah. people with their little Jansport and going for like study groups. And I was like, can you meet me in front of the wine garden? The, the wine garden. <laughs> um, and that you know. It was, I just, I just, I kind of wanted to be a guy. Like, I just wanted to be like this impervious, impenetrable guy. And people would say, like, you kind of, you're like a male alcoholic. Like, I drank Jim Beam, Jack Daniels. I, I just, I didn't, I liked having this aura of like, I don't give a fuck. But of course, you know. You care like, deeply. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about that. Let's yeah. talk about the, what your inner life is, is like, what, uh, like, Right now, this this moment, what what are your fears, your hopes? Um, what's fucking with you? Yeah, what I are mean, your issues? You know, I've done, I have done a lot of work on myself, but it, I guess one one like a lot of there's been a lot of twelve step. There's been a lot of therapy. There's been a lot of outside groups. I mean, I haven't. I almost petted a horse. Like well, I'll just try anything, but it's, I guess it's sort of like. It scares me how much I have to do to feel kind of in that neutral place that I feel like, quote unquote, normal people (laughs) can just wake up and be like how much I have to do to get to that place that I think a lot of people just kind of have. And I know I'm not supposed to compare my insides to somebody else's outsides, but that kind of terrifies me sometimes because I don't I don't think of myself as broken or damaged. I think of um, I was born with a certain chemistry and in a certain environment and I think I have a big panic button, but I, um, I guess it, it saddens me and scares me sometimes about, and now that I have a child, it's just like, you know, I could, there, there could be room in my life for hobbies or like other right. things, but instead I have to continue to do this kind of work. It's, it's exhausting. It's sometimes. exhausting and maddening and infuriating and lovely sometimes because I've had such connection. I've met people and I, my heart has opened 
finally it likes to slam shut and there's a glacier i think it's, on one side of it <laughs> it's so worth the work but it it is um when i wake up every morning i think I gotta stretch. <laughs> I gotta meditate. Oh I gotta God. call people from my uh, support groups. Yeah, uh, you know, I gotta uh, pray. I gotta, and I don't have to do any yeah. of these things. I choose to do them because yeah. I want to mm-hmm. be okay. But yeah, I just look at like I look at eighteen-year-old kids that they don't have to stretch. They don't yeah. have to do <laughs> they yoga. To Maybe they're not alcoholics in, in, yet. In, yeah. <laughs> Right, they don't have to do a tree pose, and like, yeah. it, and I feel good. But it's funny. I was listening to, um, I think it was Sean Conroy's podcast and Eddie Pepto. They were talking mm-hmm. about this stuff, and they were like making, not making fun, but they're like, you know, when you're, you want to be in that place where you're like, I get to, like, I get to meditate, I get to do that, and it's like I think about that a lot because when I'm in a good place, I do think that way. But it's a lot of hours I spend trying to like hoist myself up and just be and so i guess to answer you know your question about what do i deal with it's and then time management and balance and then you know i've i've accomplished a great deal and that i'm alive and i've you know assembled uh this unit i have a family and i but it's i'm certainly not where i'd love to be in my career and i definitely i feel paranoid that people are judging me really for yeah what do you think they're thinking I think it's my own shit, but I, you know, I have... Just, but those just go along with yeah. the mean voice in your yeah. in your brain. What's yeah. the mean voice telling you? Like, um, she's just, it's just not working out. Or, you know, she's funny. We like the love being around. You know, she's a great host. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> she's fun, but it's like, or not even pity or just like, or maybe, you know, or just, it's just not, she's trying really hard. But she Hope. missed. But she missed the boat. She missed. I think maybe something. You know, it. It didn't. You know, I've done a lot of improv. I've done mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. You know, and you know, certain some doors are opening now. But it's. I'm certainly. You know, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself, and it doesn't. You know, I'm married to an actor, and there's like a lot of like showmanship, and and I'm not saying you know. I have this joke where I'm like, don't worry, like, you don't know him because if you did, I'd be wearing a nicer shirt. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not like he's, you know, skyrocketed, but he does pretty well as a character actor. So, Mm -hmm. and, you know, so we actually had a lot of issues with competitive competition. He's like, why are you competing with a middle-aged balding actor? (laughs) Like, what do you give a shit? Like, are you insane? Um, Why why do you, you think? I was so angry. I was so angry and jealous. I'd be so, and he's like, I'm like, I'm the molester on private practice. Like, I don't have a wife. Like, (laughs) what are you talking about? Like, he's, you're insane. And it wasn't even about that. It's like, a lot of that is, um, you know, I, I grew up feeling like I wasn't, so funny because I'm a Jew, so I'm supposedly chosen, but I grew up (laughs) feeling like I wasn't chosen. Like, they chose my brother. They they heaped everything on my brother. And I was, that was a, that's a big wound that I carry. Like, I'm just going to be discarded and slighted and abandoned. Like, a lot of us have abandonment stuff, but just that, like, he was going to go, he wouldn't, when he would go off and work or just, like, forget about me and that, um, we'd go out to dinner with friends and no one would be asking me what I'm doing. And I wasn't really doing much. I'm doing a little bit more now. And it, I would, it would be, it was so painful. And I didn't, well. Can you describe the feeling in your body when when you would have that? 
kind of like I wanted to die. Like it was like, where would you I, feel it? Would you feel in it? my stomach? In yeah. my stomach, always in my stomach. Just like the sinking, empty, hollow, just like never-ending hole. And like I, and then it would sort of calcify, or I, their anger would come in later. So I didn't want. I never wanted to stay with that feeling, but it would really permeate my body. And would the part of your brain that's been recovered and going to support groups right. would that counter it and say this is just your fear this isn't reality or would it be so overwhelming that you buy into it i i couldn't get out of that those type of situations and especially in social situations mm-hmm. and that those were triggering for me but I, if i made a phone call maybe i would make a phone call in the next day or four days and and you know i'd be like oh yeah i think that was a really painful like it would become this four day cataclysmic thing mm-hmm. and i'd eat six gallons of ice cream and like stay in bed and then my sponsor or someone would be like sounds like it was just a painful moment yeah how how long have you been sober so i had 17 years in december that's fucking amazing thanks do you I- ever stop and just realize what a miracle Once that in a while. that is to be an addict alcoholic and to to be sober i do i if honestly paul it feels surreal when i tell people 17 years because first of all i feel like a 55 year old divorcee i mean that makes me feel it's just a it's it's a while uh i'm super proud of myself about that um again i've had so much help i always when i talk about it like the women flash before i mean i'm not just saying that to be like the good no it's but you true. know what i mean like it's these it's women a- in new york flash before my eyes that yeah. nursed me back to life so to speak you know yeah whenever i i share about being sober one of the first things i say is i lost the ability to keep myself sober probably 20 years ago and even though i have 12 years or almost 12 years of sobriety um it's a byproduct of me throwing myself into a support group right and right do, doing all the intensive work and making the phone calls and oh my god I've mean, I probably made a billion phone calls yeah a billion phone and I hate it I hate just that feeling of of um you know that feeling I do know I, that feeling what, what I how, do how, know can, that how can you put it into words what that feeling is when you're when you know you're supposed to make a phone call to somebody in your support group because you've been told that that's mm-hmm. what you're supposed to do. And you would tell somebody else to do it. Somebody in your shoes, you would absolutely say, you need to get out of yourself and call somebody. But talk about what that feeling is inside you. When I just, that recalcitrant, rebellious, where, yeah. fuck. you know, so I have to say, sometimes it served me because I'm such a compulsive people pleaser, seeking an audience, help me, help me, that I will say, once in a while, it's like, you know what? What if I just take a walk or take myself to a movie or just because a lot of my stuff comes from just kind of literally just giving myself away and not pausing and being this personality magician and just kind of losing myself in front of people and being exhausted. Um, So, however, that place in me where you're at, like where I should just call somebody, um, hear the God voice (laughs) come Mm -hmm. out. Um, it feels like this angry four-year-old with an eating disorder. <laughs> that's what that feels like. Fuck you. I don't even think you can help me. And then that's that's the voice that is is the one, that, or so the diseased voice where everyone's talking about that, that is telling me it's not going to work out. Don't put makeup on. Don't make the bed. You know, don't don't keep knitting. 
<laughs> like just don't what's the point you know instead of just saying little increments baby steps yeah it's so hard uh i think not only for uh, you know addicts recovering addicts but people um who were raised in uh emotional poverty i don't know if that yeah that's perfect yeah. emotional holocaust <laughs> yeah. uh we struggle with with black and white yes. uh, thinking yeah and uh, there's a i plug it all the time but there's a profound article by dr alan rapaport uh called co-narcissism and you can oh, google it there's I a P- pdf on his website and i've read it's like six pages and uh, and we actually did a mini episode on this um on our show where I just read his article. He gave me permission to do it. And it explains so much. It explains so much. Co-narcissism, I've never heard that before. It's so interesting. Yeah, it's in a nutshell, it's um, the coping mechanisms that children of narcissists um, develop to survive and then kind of become our ways of operating as adults. And a lot of it is black and white thinking, Mm -hmm. uh, thinking that um, the world is going to treat us the way our parents yeah. treated us or view us the way our parents viewed us. Um, so a lot of future tripping. Uh, yes. No, know. I love that because it sort of reminds me of something I heard once that perfectionism is the tool of the neglected child, yeah. which that, that's that been something I've, I kind of forced myself to embrace mistakes. Like that's it's great. that act as if into, and so I actually have had some success with that. But I love what you're saying about because it it's, it felt like a full-blown when you're raised by two narcissists it mm-hmm. it feels like almost an attack it almost feels like i'm being almost like in my you talk about the body like a physical attack some in 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 some ways and i i, I think my whole recovery has been trying not i don't think i'm a narcissist but my whole recovery i think but however i hugely self-centered mm-hmm. so it's like been trying to you know, this thing, how can I make this the best day of your life? But balancing that with not being a people pleaser. It's hard. And being of service. Like, what's the balance of being of service and being a people pleaser? The one thing that he said in his article is that the children of narcissists usually wind up having narcissistic qualities, but each future generation becomes a little bit Mm -hmm. less narcissistic than the one before, which makes me wonder, Jesus, how how bad was it (laughs) four or five generations ago? Right. Oh, I know. Oh, that's funny. Uh, we shudder. <laughs> give me give me some snapshots from childhood that kind of um, highlight the uh, emotional abandonment. Yeah, you know, one was a intense one that I literally couldn't even take in. And was I? I was a gymnast, and I had a big championships with all the private schools in New York City, and that, that was actually my best one. And I was on my parents usually came to my stuff, and my younger I have a young I had a younger brother at the time, and I was on the floor in my middle routine i looked out and i just saw my dad you, you I, in I, the middle of your yeah, routine uh-huh. yeah i just was checking and i was like oh that's weird it's just my dad so afterwards i was in the car with my brother and my mother had come out and i said why weren't why weren't you there and she goes um you know your brother fell asleep in the car and i didn't want to wake him up from his nap and it was just what he she literally did <laughs> it's almost like you can't she didn't want to wake him he had fallen asleep in the oh, car. Oh, I see. And she wanted to stay with him. He was a baby. Then. Yes. No, no. He wasn't a baby. He was, he was like, I mean, he wasn't 12, but he was like six. So, but, you know, to me, that was emblematic of everything in that. Like when he was like, I had an improv teacher because I told that story once. He was like, so when he was at his most inert, 
your mother wanted to be with him. But when you were at your most, like, this was a huge thing for me. She's like, I don't care. And that's what it was kind of when he came along. It was just she, everything went to him, and there were a lot of reasons behind it. So, um, What do you think the reasons were behind it? Well, actually, there was this, it's had some weird... Was she enmeshed with your brother? She was really um, enmeshed. So her, this is kind of weird. So her, her father died um, when she was really young, and she didn't go to the funeral, and there was a lot of stuff around that that she's still, like, dealing with. Um my brother's born on the day her dad died and she couldn't get pregnant. And I think there's just a degree, you know, Jewish families, all families, like of sexism, like the boy, like the, that's this boy. This, and he's turned out to be this like amazing neurologist, went to Harvard and he's this great guy. And I'm, he's one of my best friends, but it's so, it just, and I think she literally said to me once, like I am, um, she was, she, she felt so sad going to the hospital when she was going to have him because she knew it would never be the same with me. Like, she couldn't, literally wasn't going to be able to have two children, raise two children. So she knew that kind of ahead of time, that she was spread thin. Yeah. Which I understand. I'm only having one. Right. How old's your kid? Uh, Three. Boy or girl? Girl. Yeah. One and done. Uh I'm on like 11 different forms of birth control. (laughs) Like, I don't want any. That's all I can handle. Um, Have you tried the cork? No, <laughs> I, I think my, made, I know. just made it up. <laughs> I like that. I think my cuntiness is the cork. <laughs> I think my husband would be like, that's the cork. She's just, that's her. <laughs> um, so give me some other snapshots. Yeah. Um, kind of the painful ones, right? Yeah. <laughs> I remember. I mean, if, yeah. if there's one too that's, that was transformative or, you know, gave you some type of clarity on life that you know yeah, where you're yeah, like sure. this is a turning positive turning point in my life Th- those are awesome too and i and you know what i i love to hear too um are the moments when there were connection the happy moment mm. with the with the parents because it is usually a mixed bag it's not usually it you know it was yeah. all beatings and um no, narcissism because yeah. there's yeah. usually there, there was a, there our parents was a rally yeah. our parents have yeah. times when they, they support when, it they when, did the best they could yeah. their best was terrible you know <laughs> Um, well, one, well, one, I guess, okay, well, maybe I have a couple, well, one, I remember we were on a college tour, actually kind of, a, we're at Vassar, they're describing their ideal candidate, and I'm sitting there, and I think I'm probably hungover, and, um, just, they, they're really going on about what they're looking for, and I think my dad, I think he may have even stood up, and he was like, God, he's like, it, it just really sounds like you're describing my son. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, loud, like a proclamation. Oh, my God. And I was like, wow. And that and that continues on. Like, that was like every play he'd come. He would come, but they'd be like, they'd have a car waiting. They had to go. They have to go right away, you know. But it was like, yeah, well, yeah you were good. You were good. But can I tell you, that act, that other actress looked like Julia Roberts. And he would go on about how sexy and beautiful the other actress was. And it, so not only, was, you know, so there's that, but... You know, there definitely was connection. You know, I I remember my boyfriend in college, and I'm a little psychic. I'm not. I'm just saying I'm a little bit psychic. And I knew he was cheating on me, but maybe I wasn't psychic. I was just kind of obvious. And I just came home, and I'm someone that I I didn't such hug. a thin line between psychic and psycho. <laughs> I know. Okay, psychic. It's really psycho. all time. It's that's all time. That's my memoir, the psychic psycho. <laughs> you know, but I came home and. I didn't tell them I was coming home because we're all control freaks. We want to know what's happening. And um, I remember my mom was like taking a nap or something. And I just, I surprised them. I came home because I was upset. 
And it was like one of the five times I can count on my hand where like I let her mother me and there wasn't a lot of stuff. And I just, she kind of just gave me this hug and like, I think I, it wasn't, it, I mean, I think I would, would, I crawled into bed with her. Like, and we, I've never slept in my parents' bed. I was not mm-hmm. that kid. It was like, and it was, um, it was just a moment that I have because then I was able to take responsibility and be like, I also didn't let her in. I didn't let her mother me. And she could have more probably, but I, after I kind of saw what was going on, I like really put up walls. So it's like there was humanity there. You know, I just think they also have incredible anxiety and they were scared of me. Like, I think they were scared of me. You you were a hard kid to, to get to soften. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, my dad would say, you know, you're, you're ruining my marriage. Your dad would say yeah. that? He's like, you're ruining my marriage. I didn't ruin, I'm not ruining their marriage. <laughs> like, this is like, they've been sleeping separate bedrooms. Um, but I was a pro, I mean, I was a handful. You I were mean, high maintenance. I was, yeah, yeah, a lot of, you know. Was that your way of getting attention? Do you think? It's funny. I don't think so. You know, I, I understand why you would say that, but I think I just wanted because I really didn't want a lot. Of, I kind of wanted to, you know, do my own thing. I think I just wanted to be self-expressed. And mm-hmm. I was a creative person that I had no idea I was creative for a really long time. Um, but maybe. It could have been I just wanted to be noticed, but in the ways that I could control. Mm-hmm. That feels good to me. <laughs> Irish goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh- Give me give me some other snapshots from childhood or adolescence that you think um, are kind of seminal in your in your life or help paint a picture. Yeah, I mean, for us to get to know you. Yeah, I feel like I know it's so yeah. hard to ask people from your entire lifetime. I mean, I have from my twenties. I have something that happened that was a huge experience for me when I am. So I lost my uncle to AIDS when I was in high school, and I my parents didn't really want me to get to know him at the end. So I, I tried to would get how can I get close to Blair or feel Blair because I feel like he was someone I could have really who had been a friend. Mom's or dad's brother. Dad's brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had that like acerbic dark sense of humor that I feel like I got. So anyway. When I did the AIDS ride with my brother and um, I went, uh, I, I didn't train because I never trained, never did anything. And I was trying, going up the hill and then the, I stopped and there was a guy behind me on his bicycle and I saw the orange flag, which meant he was HIV positive, And he, um, we just spent the whole day together hanging out and it was like this incredible thing. And then we got, that night he had lent me his windbreaker and so I was trying to find Jeff and he wasn't in his bunk and he was in the infirmary in like a bathtub of ice, like shivering. He'd gotten sick that day. And someone just said, and I think I was a year or two years sober, and someone said, um, who's going to take him to the hospital? And I just shot up my hand and said, I'm going to take him to the hospital. And like, to me, that was like my best self working from all, like that's why I've done the work, was so I could be there for this guy who I just met. And that was honestly, and I went to this hospital in Livingston, Montana. Oh, this wasn't your... your um... I'm sorry. This was like, someone I just met that oh, day. Oh, I thought you met your uncle yeah. was the one. I was just doing the AIDS ride in honor of my uncle. And this was a guy I who see. felt like was gotcha. maybe his spirit. Or yeah, it wow. felt like so. But it was like, so I took, you know, and I, I saw his driver's license and he looked so much different than he did. Not that he was, I mean, sick, 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 but he was not, you know, he was struggling. And it was interesting because I stayed with him the whole night. And I guess I bring this up, not like I'm this hero, but... um. 
I have that to always reference because I was super in my body and super present and super like nothing ever came in like, am I enough or what's going to happen? Isn't that amazing? Nothing. What, what, that, that's service. Yes. Nothing, nothing can make you present like service. Oh it my just God. silences everything. It, it takes that mean voice in your brain and it puts it in a fucking bank vault. Yes. It, it is that. It quiets it that profoundly. Exactly, I know. It's, Especially it's like, the 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 more um, inconvenient the yes. surface, the the more uh, quiet the mean voice exactly gets. Exactly, it. It was like brilliantly inconvenient for the little like the self centered demon in, inside of me. And I mean, I have to say, maybe besides the birth of my daughter, that not even my marriage, like that was like the second best night of my life. With the, and he died. You know, I tried to find him. You killed him. I killed him. I just said, you couldn't make it up that hill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he didn't train. I didn't train. And he was great. I mean, he was so funny. And it's like, I, I also maybe bring that up because I feel like, so when we weren't parented in the way, like, I know I have been sent angels and messengers. And I, I just try to pay attention because I'm on my phone. I don't want to pay attention. I don't want to be present. But when I am paying attention... I do feel like I get sent people to be like, pay attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that that was a, you know, I just try to remember that because I really liked myself that night. And I'm not saying that happens all the time, but. Um, and then I guess other, there's just, there's been, um, there's been a lot. Give me, give me some snapshots of you at your worst. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. I remember I just, I, I had, I had this party I would have when I was still drinking and I, I would throw these big parties in my apartment and my friend was coming in from LA and she was there and like, oh, and it was just like this Coke booze bonanza and we're like, well, we're all going to go. We're all going to, you know, we just go to some Irish bar in Gramercy. And I, um, I was so like all about men and boys and being attractive and like who I was going to sleep with that like. I left, it was her birthday. I left my friend in my apartment and it was her birthday. And I didn't even remember. And she texted, no, there was no cell phone. We had no cell phones then. I, I did not know until I checked my machine that morning. You know, and what, you know, and I remember it's like, you're supposed to make amends, but it's like, things just happen too. That like, people won't forget, but you can say, I was drunk, but... You know, so that was, you know, there's just been a lot of things like that where I just, you know, take off. Um, you know, I um, I cheated on my on my boyfriend in high school with one of his best friends. He found out, and I did it again. <laughs> what do you think that was about? Like, just the whole thing. They fought. Like there was like yeah. a broken, bloody. Like I was like the Hester Prynne. Like it happened. And then, like, we ran into each other, and I just, we did it again. And we were like, and I was like, and that to me, it wasn't even about, it was like my own anger. Like, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want to do. Because I always felt like I had, I was very, like, um, bifurcated or divided. Like, I'm a Gemini. Like, I had this, like, very sweet girl, and I was with my friend's parents. I would bring a plant and write a thank you card. And then with so much effort and energy, and then there was this part of me that was just, like, this untethered, angry, selfish hooker. (laughs) One 
<laughs> whenever I see that first part that you talk about, I always want to know what that person's dark side is because something has to give. Yeah. It's usually either an eating disorder yes. or they're a cheater or Bo- all they're of it. closet drinking yes. or something. All that of it. that pain and that anxiety. Well, the, yeah, I mean the other thing too, so I you know, I I didn't I so I think I developed a social eating disorder because all my friends had, you know, a lot of my friends at Penn, we all well, we all a lot of girls have eating disorders, but I so senior year, I was really, I was bulimic, you know, alcoholic. I mean, it was all going on. They knew, and I just didn't give a shit. Um, but one of my, at my bottom, I lived, then I was, I graduated, I was in the West Village, and I, I just, I was binging all the time. And, and, and purging? Yes, yes. Not, you know, this, I wasn't a six times a day. It was probably two or three times a week, you know, and throwing up from drinking. I mean, it was just like a a mess. I should have carried around like a barf bag from the place. Like, it was just, but I remember Magnolia, I just love cupcakes. So I was like, Magnolia Bakery was in the West Village. And I remember it was Easter Sunday. Everybody was in their Sunday pets lining up with their families. And I'm there like in, in like, I was wearing heavy like clothes. I didn't want people to see my body. And I literally got six cupcakes and like two hot chocolates on a summer day. And like the Jew, like this like <laughs> bulimic Jew on like Magnolia, right? And then I couldn't even wait to get home. And I just ate them all on a bench. I remember, yeah, no, I ate them all. Is that what your uh, <laughs> website photo is kind of been referenced to? Yeah. Yeah, that was, yes. Because I, I part, partly because I, you know, it's funny out. I can have half a cupcake. I try not to have sugar. I can have half, but because I'm, I don't have this maelstrom or vortex of self hate anymore that I can have. I don't, you know, it's not great for me. But anyway, I just remember that was like that was a different kind of shame, mm-hmm. and I was doing it publicly. Usually, I like private. Like I remember, I went to Starbucks, and the guy goes, "Are you pregnant?" <laughs> <laughs> and he was this. I, he was this great guy. Like he was yeah. just. I think he literally was just like. And and then someone asked me that in a yoga class, like because I think it was just I was always kind of bloated, and the way I carried myself was almost like I was holding my sugar baby. <laughs> <laughs> so I just yeah. Then then and I. And what did you say? Did you lie and say yes, or did you <laughs> say no to? Oh no! I was like, oh no, I'm not, and I never want a kid. And fuck you! <laughs> like, and I almost wrote it. I almost like tattled on the yoga teacher like crunch gym like she shouldn't be a teacher <laughs> i come here for like peace <laughs> i got shamed. and self-esteem yeah and self-esteem so that was a long the eating disorder was long it, that that took years and then i you know i i just stopped throwing up i'm like it was kind of like a my own third step of like i will be fat i'll stop doing that i'll and i didn't and it just you, you think oftentimes, I would imagine, um, the anxiety about your weight is the thing mm-hmm. that makes you want to overeat. So if you can just kind of be okay with what is, exactly, then maybe you won't need the food because you won't be anxious about how much you're going to weigh. Exactly. It's this crazy self-fulfilling prophecy or this, you know, the thing of like the paradox of like, do I just stop thinking about it? Like, I remember the day when I was like... Not that I forgot to eat lunch because I don't miss a meal, but I was like, it crept, like I I just kind of had, but I had kind of forgotten to eat because I was in my work. And I remember that was like such a happy moment because I was in my life and I was like, it didn't become this all consuming thing, which it just felt really lonely. And I knew I was never going to have a boy, like in sobriety, I, I didn't have a boyfriend for so long. And I knew like, it's just kind of disgusting to say, but it was like food was my lover. 
I that makes perfect sense to yeah. me. Like that makes tried and true. My, you know, never going to let me down. Like I, it should have been a cat <laughs> and I did get a cat, like pl- planned mm-hmm. cat, you know, but it really was, it really was. For a lot of people, it's work. A lot of people, yeah. their work is their lover. Yes. This was, it was sugar was like, you know, and, and then it was also this like, because I always kind of felt objectified and I don't know, like. Who do you, who did you feel objectified by? Just society in general or? No, like I would feel sometimes like, I think, you know, it, it really like my dad, it was like one of these things he's like, had a hard time wrapping his head around that he had an attractive daughter. Like he just had his own issues around beauty and looks and it like blew his mind. Like he would call me gorgeous. And it was like, he just was this thing that it was just, that was, there was so much more importance placed on that. And like. Than your personality or your anything, soul. Any, yeah, exactly. So. How do you, uh, sorry to cut no, you off. No, I think this is such an important thing because I, I think parents like your dad in that instance are so well-meaning. Mm-hmm. It so, comes from such a good place. Yeah. But kids, mostly girls, grow up thinking that must be the most important thing oh, yeah. about me. So how do you, as a parent, express love to your children in a way that helps them feel okay about how they look and who they are as a person what do you what do you say to your i know to your daughter when she's you know 13 years old and she's i know it's the question starting of the to sentence. become a woman right what, what i i know i mean I, I i think it's such a great question we're already dealing with it at three in a way because you know we have um luckily someone who takes care of her and she's always like you're so cute you look so pretty and, you know we and we've almost become this not psycho but we're like it, when i catch myself saying and i don't like you look you look so cute we literally say but more importantly you're a nice you're a kind person and you're smart like we just that say, makes sense and we say that and it almost is it's not robotic sometimes it seems robotic but it's like she hear i know she hears us mm-hmm. and we always um i just read something on how when you say to a child like you are like that was very kind of you to do you're a very kind person and you keep reminding them they're kind i don't know the article made sense yeah. and um she is sweet and she is thoughtful like she might be like an Alan on disaster <laughs> we'll save a seat but like you know it's a great question i think that um i'm we're gonna try not to talk about it too much i think that's the answer because it was talked about a lot and how i looked and and don't wear that you look over you look fat in that you know so i think it's talking about how she feels because i didn't get that and how her day was and just and also i think you can't go wrong when you just give space and you're they know you're there and i just plan to give her a lot of space which we've we try to do and we've made Mm -hmm. probably thousands of mistakes but we do honor her and she knows she actually can play by herself which is nice the other thing that i that i would imagine would be really important would be to um let them know it's okay to feel whatever they're feeling that no feelings oh, yeah, are wrong everything. yes but there's just healthy or unhealthy ways of expressing them yes that's huge because i think we had a family member who was like even as a joke like don't cry and literally my whole body tensed up and i don't think i said anything because like i i didn't you know but i i think that's it it's like we're like you kind of mirror you're like i you're upset 
and you're neutral. Because I think I was like bombarded and avalanched with anxiety and why and who did this and, and like uh, we can't handle you. Mm-hmm. Like feelings are bad and you're making us nervous, so stop it. And, you know, and with my daughter, it's like yeah, it is hard when they cry. My husband has a hard time with it. I have a hard time sometimes, but it's like it will evolve into joy <laughs> at some point. Yeah, it'll pass. It's gonna pass and. You know, again, that's maybe a narcissism, too, or a self-centered, like, why Why am I taking it on? Like, why am I making it about me, even though I may be setting a limit? And I need to set limits, because I had weird limits or no limits. It must be so easy as a parent to make stuff about you. Yeah. Especially if you were raised in an emotionally invalidating environment, mm-hmm. and you're looking for any morsel to give you kind of data on right. where you are in the world and who you are in your place and are you good enough and all that yeah. so it must be it must be really um i can't imagine how hard it must be being a parent i just i, I can't even imagine yeah i mean i think it's we're, we feel so lucky that we're a little older you know mm-hmm. because i think if i had this child five years ago it would not be the same like we had her right when we literally were ready um we'd been together a while you know he my husband is is 51 now you know it's so funny he's like i can't run after her <laughs> it's really sad <laughs> can you like she she took off naked down the block and, and to see my like he's like six feet tall she'll be okay yeah she'll, <laughs> she'll learn but um yeah it's everything the school parents you 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 see the inclination to take everything on make it about you and i think i fight every day to not do that even though it's hard i used to do that in my relationship with my wife and i can still do it if she's upset um, mm-hmm. I don't even realize that me not wanting her to be upset colors how I react to her. You right. know, I may not say to her, um, don't be upset or, you know, you're making too big of a deal of this, but my attitude, I'm my, this sounds cheesy, but my heart isn't open right. to right. the fact that my wife is in a state of of flux i don't want to feel the anxiety coming off of her right right and one of the things i've learned is just to let her have her Mm -hmm. ups and downs and and do that but when i'm in a selfish place i want to try to control what she's feeling i want to try to change it and And it's so just get it be a part of it or get in there and it's so to try to fix it which of course which is human i think even if we've had past or not it's hard because especially if you're a decent kind loving person and but it's hard. It's hard. She just wants me to hear, listen to her. Hold you know? the basket. Yeah. She just wants Hold. to know that she's seen and felt and heard. And it took me 15 years uh, yeah. of marriage to even begin to get a clue that, I that that's what I it's should have been impossible. doing. It's almost should. It's, imp- it's almost impossible. I mean, I, and I do think it's it, that's a gendered thing. I do feel like men really want to like, fix. They really do. And I, and I, it's funny. I've just let, I, I honor that now. Mm-hmm. Um, I've let my husband, he's a lot of great suggestions. He mm-hmm. really does. I don't. I hate how some of them come out. Hate. I bet that's hate. annoying. Yeah, hate. When you just want to feel felt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But then, you know, if I say, can you just listen to me? And usually I have to say, can you get off of the computer? And can you <laughs> listen to me? Um, 
Yeah, it's all like tone and like body language too. It really has has so much to do with it. Oh my God, it's so much to do with that. But it, you know, I know the times where I've literally, you know, this is going to sound like, but you know, giving him the honor and dignity of his process, (laughs) I feel like a champion. Like a champion, because that's contrary action. Because you come out the other side of it and you had to do almost nothing. Nothing! That's the the paradox. Like nothing. You had to witness it. He said to me on the phone sometimes, he'd be like, are you still there? (laughs) so and that and i mean i can count on my hand the amount of times where i just listened and listened not even with trying what am i going to say to just like hmm yeah that if i were like speak to a group of college kids i think one of the things i would say is you have to do so much less in life than you think you do to be okay i think that's it so much of getting older is just discarding things Yes, this like not even detachment, but non-attachment, like what the Buddhists talk about, like literally, because I don't know that expression like detach with love or you detach with an ex. It's like just fill the well or go where it's warm or concentrate where I need to concentrate because I feel like it's hard to just trick my mind, but just focus on like next right indicated action Mm -hmm. and not attach to God, like why... Did, why was I not invited to that dinner? Why was why? Hey, he didn't text me back, but I know he tweeted. You know, or that's right. shit that's crazy. Yep. And also, I like this thing of when people remind me or they're like, you know what? It's actually none of your business. What they think of you. Mm-hmm. And usually it's not about you. It's usually it's not. I feel like it's 99%. Yeah. yeah. They're wrapped Which up. is freeing. Yeah. Which is liberating, you know? So you Most know, people are thinking about themselves as much as you're thinking about yourself. Right. And I'm thinking about myself. <laughs> right. I know. That was a revelation to me. Right, which is why I think the service thing is so huge, because then it's like you you affect, you, you're just, you're out of your, the lower You're self. out of your needs for a moment. Right, right. And, and it's the connection. Talk about that. You know, I... I, I was thinking about, you know, I, I I spoke at a halfway house and I had an impact on this girl and I gave her my number and um we're, we were very different, but obviously completely like, and she called me the next day saying she got kicked out. Could I pick her up? And I did. I picked her up. We hung out and it was like the most amazing thing. You know, I grew up this way. I don't know, even know where she grew up, but we grew up differently. And I remember I just took her. I took her to this Chinese restaurant and she was blown away. It was like just in almost like a mom, wasn't it? And she was like, her eyes, she was like, this is like one of the nicest places. I, you know, and it was like, oh, and I remember I don't cook. Like I never thought of myself as nurturing. And it's like I made her oatmeal in the morning and she liked it. <laughs> like she ate it and she liked it. And I really had never done that for anybody. And then um, I... I got her into another halfway house and then I, I just paid for it. And I was like, that's insurance for me and it's for her. And I never heard from her again. And I, and a lot of times even now I'm like, I didn't get a thank you note. Like, you know, and mm-hmm. it's like, I really didn't need one with this woman. Cause it was like, that was like, and I guess it's funny. I feel like I'm like Blanche Dubois, like strangers. Like I have these connections with strangers. <laughs> like, but in a way it's easier for me. Um, you know, I'm someone with my best friends. It's hard. I have a hard time telling them when I'm up there, I'm upset with something when I've known them since five years old. So that's getting better. But, you know, I think this whole thing of just sitting 
and being okay with who I am and just revealing myself has been a 20-year journey. Isn't that funny that revealing the parts of ourselves that we want to hide is actually what brings us closer to other people when in reality we thought we had to prevent we had to present a perfect right. image or a near perfect yes. image to be loved because I think in our the sick part of our brain we think we need to be impressive to be safe. Yes. When yes. in reality, we need to be vulnerable yes. to be safe. Just human and vulnerable and just, again, like paying attention. And so it, that is so true. And again, like what you're saying about less work. Like that's why I think I'd go home and eat an entire tube of cookie dough because I just needed to like, I was exhausted. Explain mm. the cookie dough to me because <laughs> I, it's one that is true. It's so grainy. It just, it truly baffles me. The one me. in Pillsbury dough that comes in the yeah, tube. It's I just so think it's good. gross. Oh my. I, like uh, I, I could get I could lost. Eat, I could eat a box of what ding dongs. It's not like I could eat. Oh, get those ding dongs away from me. Twinkies. It's really? not like I'm snobby. <laughs> I just don't, I don't get cookie dough. If I, if you, like, I would put maple syrup on a pie crust. I mean, I was like a... Pie like, crust is awesome. Amazing. It's fucking amazing. No, I I liked batter. Isn't that weird? Like, just anything going <laughs> sugary. Oh, my God. I mean, ugh. my my daughter now, We I think um, we call her the exorcist because she's had chocolate for the first time and we're a little nervous. Because <laughs> my husband's a complete bread act. We have things hidden all over the house. Yeah. Like, And she goes... Chocolate, <laughs> and we're like, we have the extras. Oh my god! But you know, she, uh, we don't, we're not one of these people that we like deny. Like we don't believe in denying. It's not like a free for all. We're just basically trying to do the opposite. What was your bottom like for which for, for the drinking, drinking and the drugs? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I am. Um, Did you was, have a clear bottom? I did. I kind of talk about it in my stand-up now. It's funny because it was, um, I, so I was coming to a screeching kind of sad, slow halt, but I, um, I slept with someone inappropriately younger than me where, you know, he was, he was just, he was 17. I mean, I was 24, but it was, and it was hard because I, it was so embarrassing because I remember like I threw this party and it was like I wanted to be able to um most people would just maybe kiss him ha 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 but no I just and that's the thing like I wanted someone to stay and snuggle and just be there for me so anyway the next year I had a restaurant job and um I was a hostess and we had pagers and I remember he paged me and I thought he was asking me to brunch and he's like we didn't use anything because I never cared. And thank God I never really got anything. But he was like, um, cause we didn't use anything. So I just want to make sure you're okay. Or like, we're okay. And like someone pretty responsible, 17 year old. <laughs> Jesus. Maybe just had like a seminar, wow. but I remember feeling like you kind of want the call to be brunch. Not, did you get me hurt? <laughs> give me herpes. <laughs> and that was sort of, and so that was that. And also I, so I was obsessed. I had a boyfriend in college and, I remember he called me November 18th, 1997, and he told me that he had gotten someone pregnant. And he and he was like, he was just, I was going to move to Houston. And, you know, he was my geographic. And I remember being like, 
geographic for uh, leaving li- New York, listeners leaving everybody. is when you think that you, oh. your problems are where you live instead of the way you're functioning in the world as an, as an adult. So you make the mistake of thinking, oh, if I just go to another town, I won't have any <laughs> problems there. We call that a geographic. I know. So I yeah. forget. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, that's always sort of concomitantly with that. So he had um, called me and I remember this feeling that, uh, so, so, I think the sex thing happened a little bit before that with the 17-year-old, and Kevin called me. And so what happened was, I just people had keys to my house. Like, I had my own house downtown, my apartment. And, and I remember feeling like, that's it. That's it. And my therapist had been trying to get me sober the whole year, and I couldn't really. So I, so I went out to this bar named Swift that night with this guy I was sleeping with. And the bartender gave me this extra shot, and I remember being like, oh, I love you. And I did the shot, and this was the first time in my whole whole drinking career it didn't do anything it just sat there i literally just felt alcohol in my stomach and i was like i think it's over and then a month to that day i called a support group um about where and he even the guy on the phone was like i just told him i'm going to be in arizona with my family he's like i'm going to be there i'll we can hang out i'll help you like this guy on the phone and i was like that's so that was the first, that was the moment, the seminal moment, too, where I was like, pay attention. There are good people in this world. You're, be awake. Don't just be this person who is just in fantasy. Because a lot of everything was just fantasy. That's such a big part of alcoholism and drug addiction mm-hmm. is the warped yeah. reality. Oh, and- yeah. Oh, my God. There's this, like, take me, and then not... And and the grandiosity. Oh, my God. I mean, like, unbelievable grandiosity. And then the swirling with the, you know, self kind of annihilation and self-hate. So That's a pretty sweet combo. Yeah. It's what a delectable delight. So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't like I, I had, I mean, I feel like there were a lot of bottom, like, leading up to it. Like, we all trap doors. But, you know, those those things just kind of led up to that and just just sleeping with inappropriate people yeah people that i wouldn't have a conversation with sober maybe was have you bumped into that uh guy since you had uh sex with him the was he in high school he was going to college oh okay so he graduated high school already yes um yeah yeah i have i mean it was just you know i just remember it was like it couldn't have been more clear that, like, this was an inappropriate... I, I think I took his virginity. Like, I couldn't... Like, it just couldn't have been more kind of inappropriate. Like, I, I had worse experiences mm-hmm. where I felt... I mean, you know, I've had guys... Like, I don't even remember... I, I I lost my virginity in a bathroom at a party, and I barely remember it, you know? And I think the guy said to me, just so you know, I'm not going to be your boyfriend. And I was wow. like... I didn't even care. I mean, I did, of course, but it was like... I just wanted to get rid of it. I just wanted to do it. I just wanted to feel attractive. How old were you? I just turned 14. That's pretty young. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I was, I didn't even, I didn't enjoy sex probably until two, literally did not enjoy, until like two years into it. I mean, and I didn't, and it was, I'm not a sex addict, you know, it was like, I wanted to feel. Wanted. Yeah, and and I think a lot a large part of it too was I did I developed really late. I was a gymnast. I was skinny. All my friends got older guys, and I could barely get guys my year. <laughs> like I feel like they had to the guys may have to like beer goggle me, you know. And every <laughs> they were like getting like you know seen. So I just had a lot of stuff around that. Um, it was a lot of stuff, but yeah. 
Anything else before we uh, do some fears and loves? Uh, that's good. Feel yeah. Good. Hit right. me with some fears. So I think we hit. I I, ha- I have this fear that my husband is going to have like an emotional f- affair <laughs> with like someone he's working with or like he's continuing, you know. And I'm just like not going to know for a long time. <laughs> I have this fear that um like I'm going to end up like kind of some kind of like bloated despondent mom blogger <laughs> just working out <laughs> of somebody's garage with like funny pithy things but nothing never really get paid. You know. Um I have a fear that uh th- that I'm going to do a terrible job with my daughter and that even with all the resources and all the work and all the information I have, that it's going to, she's going to do exactly what I did to my mother, which who knows. Um, what did you do to your mother? <laughs> <laughs> um, I treated her really badly. I mean, I would yell at her. I'd call her names. I mean, I was, I was, I mean, disrespectful isn't, wouldn't even cover it. Did you ever apologize to her? Um, I did. I did. I um, I sort of do living amends. What did she say when you apologized? I did it twice. Yeah. I mean, I think there she was so taken aback because she's so not. Um, it was so like it's such a human moment when you apologize to someone, look them in the eye, and not even just say sorry. I say I really take responsibility of that. Like I wasn't, you know, that really wasn't right, or because I I just I always try not to just be like I'm sorry. So I don't think that cuts it. Um, I think it's nice to let them know in words that you placed yourself in their shoes and tried to imagine what it felt like. Oh, that's good. I like that. That's, that's what I, I try to do. Oh, I like, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to take that. I say I imagine it must have felt yeah. you know, such and such. Exactly. Um, yeah, I love that. I think, yeah, I mean, I think that um, she immediately was like, and I think I've had a good experience with that. I mean, it was like, oh, I mean... I, and I think then she started talking about how she's like, I, because she's sort of hard to take total responsibility, but she's like, I, I wish, I wish we had had a better relationship. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. What do you feel like to hear your mom say that? It's nice. We, we do now. I mean, I, I call her, I'll look at the clock, but I'll call her and I will make sure I talk to her for 15 minutes and we talk and you know, she's, she's a incredible grandmother, um, it feels good. She looked at me once and said, I think your anger at me is getting in the way of your career. You know, the kind of therapy. And she was 100% right. Wow. She's 100% right. She's like, you're, you're too angry. You're, your rage is keeping you. How old were you when she said that? I was like 34. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I did more work on my mom. I did more work because she, she, she's very intuitive. I mean, she's really annoying, but she's really intuitive. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that it's, it's good. It's pretty good now. Give me another fear. Um, so I think I, I can expand on it, but I, I guess I, I have this fear that, well, I guess the mom blogger really covered it, but it's that I'm just never going to make a living and I'm going to be judged from where I came from. And people have this opinion of me. And I'll never be able to break from that. Like you're an even bigger failure because you came from the Upper East Side yeah. where everybody and that, is given and, a head start. Yeah. And that also, you know, just that I'm I'm always going to feel judged about that. And that, you know, people, you know, that 
you haven't worked or you don't really need to work or you like I'm just this different specimen where the truth is like it was it was an excruciating thing the way it was used on me on some level sometimes so it's like I'm ble- I mean I'm by, grateful by whom well it felt like money was parceled out like an allowance like it was control it was held over my head and I was really struggling and I've worked my whole life I've had help but I've worked I've never ever 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 not worked so I don't know just that thing that I you know it's I know it's more in my head but just people who you know are like have this it's the judgment's always going to be there until somehow I change the paradigm you know that it's you know I I'm I'm grateful and it's but it's there's nothing like you know when I did sell a pilot it was like I remember it was my I like I took a picture of the check because it was like one of the happiest days because it mm-hmm. didn't feel like this kind of dirty money mm-hmm. so and I don't you know money it didn't money, feel like dirty money no right um so that so just a fear of like never breaking out of that I see never totally breaking yeah. free from your your yeah never completely leaving the nest yeah. Yeah, or feeling like, you know, I guess because I have this thing, too, where it's like men in powerful positions, like, you know, sometimes if I come in contact, like, I just make them into my dad. So I have a fear, like, I'll never be able to feel like and get rid of, like, the sex stuff or, like, Mm. the chemistry. And I'm, you know, I have boundaries, but just that I can listen and not deify certain men or give them so much power and or make them make you know or, or lose my voice mm-hmm. was your dad working for bear stearns when they collapsed yeah he was yeah what was that like well i was here it's funny i am um, it was 07 right or 08 somewhere somewhere around 08 then. yeah yeah i we were getting married and it's funny the the new york times they did like a little you know, stupid thing like the, and they were like, this is really delicate. Is your dad still at Bear Stearns or is he not? And I, he, he wasn't. So he was high up at Bear Stearns. Yeah. He was a secretary of the company. And I mean, he'd worked in like arbitrage before. So he moved around a lot. Like he's just been with the company, you know, he, it wasn't this huge cataclysmic thing. He, he left and started and he just, he left. I mean, it collapsed. Like he, really missed his friends and his comrades and his, you know, people that it were, it's a family, but, um, it was a lot of obvious shenanigans at the top and a lot of stuff that he knew about, but he went to, um, like the public knows about. So he just went to an office with some guys and now focuses on numismatic stuff. He's a numismatist. Coin. Uh-huh. Coin collector. You were the first person in California who knew what a numismatist was? <laughs> Literally, <laughs> nobody else. Because I don't be like philatelist. <laughs> <laughs> what's the What's the second one? Oh, a stamp collector. Oh, okay. Yeah. What's it called? Philatelist. I had no idea. Yeah, that's not. These aren't words. My scra- well, my Scrabble brain right now is right? going. Oh, yeah. mental note. Yeah, philatelist. Um, yeah, so that it, I was sort of out. You know, it it wasn't. I mean, obviously, it was a huge thing that happened, but. You know, I had been living in L.A. for a while. Give me another fear. Um, I guess, you know, I'm afraid that I'm going to become the sort of naggy. I'm going to reenact the marriage, and I use that in quotes, that my parents had mm-hmm. with my husband. 
eventually that we're gonna just it's gonna be not even like roommate it'll be like roommates roommates roommates. that don't like each other yeah roommates probably always i think maybe or just or just that i and that i've torpedoed it Mm. i've torpedoed it and like i won't let him leave you know and that i don't you know because i'll and and then i won't continue because i had an acting teacher once who was like you know and i always remember he's like you just you just have to keep dating you literally have to pretend you're dating this person and so it makes sense yeah and he's right you know, can't, you know, we, my friends and I always joke, like, stop wearing the yoga pants. <laughs> stop wearing the yoga pants with holes. Stop it. <laughs> you know, just try to. Um, so that's a fear. Um, because, you know, especially with a child now, and I mean, we fight viciously, viciously. We're much better now, but and we can easily, because we're both, you know, we can go there. So um, I guess a fear also would be that I, we're damaging our daughter with arguing, even though we're very careful. We really, we do not do it anymore. Like, but it's, it's happened. I mean, not right in front of her, but even just tension in front of her. They pick up on it. Everything. And it breaks your heart. And we're, you know, we're human. So I, I'm really, I'm really nervous. I'm fearful that, you know, something's already ha- done, been done. We're good parents, but it, it's, they're so they're like these little sponges oh my god little sponges she said to me once she goes i was so annoyed at him and i don't even think i'd said anything and she looked at me she pointed she goes mommy talk to daddy wow i mean she is unbelievable and i go like this i go hi larry how are you (laughs) he's like good fielding how are you (laughs) you know and now we have this thing where if we're arguing or something it's we're going there he starts singing and it's kind of funny, and I because I'm like he actually has a really good voice. So I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> Give me some love. I had my last birthday party to do a charades party, and it was like the best time I ever had because it was like I was in a room. It wasn't a dinner. Like I'm so sick if I have to go to one more fucking dinner. Um, so I love playing charades. I love driving to the beach for an hour and just putting my feet in the sand and um, smelling the smell. Yeah, and leaving my phone in the car, mm. even with a child. Like, I love, I mean, I can say that I love, it literally, it's so sad that it's become a love. I love leaving my phone for the night. Like, it just, it feels like I'm on vacation. Because um, then I'm not, because I think this is actually poisoning me, how many times I'm looking at it. I mm-hmm. think it's actually poisoning me. I'm going to throw some loves in. Yeah. I love that moment in uh, the Rolling Stones song, uh, Beast of Burden, where Mick Jagger says, uh, I tell ya. you, you know that moment? It's right in between <laughs> the chorus and I the do. verse, and it just how we, just the rhythm of it, right? It, it's I just so, I love when singers add a little flourish that you know was ad libbed, awesome. you know wasn't, mm-hmm. probably wasn't written in there, but they just. That's awesome. And I also love that, that moment when you can hear the band uh, sometimes talking and they included it. At the beginning of a song. Oh. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I haven't heard that in a while. Uh, like like where George Harrison at, at um, well, that's a little more obvious, but at the beginning of Taxman, mm-hmm. where he says, one, two, three, but four. But still, it's cool. I still love that. When they leave that stuff in, that gives it that, that kind of human quality. That's I love that. Yeah. It's just, I don't know, there's something, this is so nerdy, but I feel like, because I always, I just will listen to 80s music in my car, mm-hmm. and I there's this... 
the owner of a lonely heart. <laughs> there's this thing where no matter what, even if I'm alone, I, like there's this point in the song where there's something and I go like this, because <laughs> it just makes me happy. I'm like, here it comes. Da-da-da. You be the drummer yeah. for a second. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm so not yeah. a drummer, but I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, give me another love. Let's see. I, I love, uh, when I'm lying, I, I would do this thing with my kid where I'd bring her out. We have like a small backyard and it was back before she could talk or move. And we just lay on the blanket and like looked up at the sky oh, and like nice. we wouldn't move. And it was like this, it was like this almost dreamy, soporific kind of like dream state or just, it was, it was pretty, I'll like, I'll always remember that. Mm-hmm. I love when you perfectly brown a marshmallow <laughs> over a campfire and it's just dark golden brown all the way around and then when you eat it the the the, the center of it is completely uh liquefied oh. and you and as you bite it into it you can just taste that little bit it's almost like it became a shell that brown part mm-hmm. and it's like a little bit uh kind of crispy and oh. then the the center is just uh it's like one of my favorite things in the world that's amazing yeah um i love when uh my husband and i will be out at some big, you know, our dinner party, and everyone's kind of wasted, and it's like eleven o'clock, and then um, I'm just sitting next to me, just look at each other, and we're just, <laughs> and like, we just kind of grab each other's hands, and like that's it's there's a purity there because we're here, and it's sort of like not like it's us against them, but it just feels really, I just feel proud of us. Or he, is he a sober yeah, guy too? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's got to be nice. It's beautiful because it doesn't, you know, it's not, it doesn't happen all that often, but it feels like I am, like, I didn't need to marry a sober guy, but it was like, I'm really glad I'm married to you. It makes it easier. That's and it, nice. Yeah. Let's see. Let me think of a love. Uh, I love uh, scoring a goal when... A guy on your team has the puck, and you break for the net, skating as hard as you can, and you stick your stick out, and he makes a perfect pass, and it just goes off the tip of your blade and over the goalie's shoulder. That's like my wow. favorite. That's like you're the hero. Yeah. Well, it's really the guy that does the pass. Right, right. Uh, but because uh, that's the hard, that's, it's, it's, it has to be in an area literally the size of a baseball to, to deflect over the over the goalie's shoulder at that point wow. and you have to be skating really hard to get by the guy who is who's trying to block you from getting the pass and that happened uh, I was playing tonight and this guy's an amazing player and I just started breaking for the net and I stuck my stick out and this guy just put a just perfect perfect pass and it tipped right over the goalie's shoulder and I just love that that uh, that it's like intim- it's like sports intimacy yeah Yes. That, that that other guy was mm-hmm. like, oh, I know what you're, you know. That's amazing. I know what yeah. you're trying to do. It's this kinesthetic. This yeah, instead, because he could have shot. He yeah. could have taken his own shot from back there. He didn't He didn't have to pass it. Right. But I love that. That's amazing. That's a, That's a good feeling. Wow. Give me another love. I, let's see. Well, there's, I have two I'm deciding. I love, uh. I'm in a yoga class and I'm angry and I'm tired and I'm exhausted and I, I'm a crush on all my teachers and I think to myself I just want her to touch me <laughs> literally 
and she does, and she somehow picks it up and just come, like yes, come by and yeah. rub your shoulders. No, not no. It's like the lower back, and mm. she and some some women. You I, mean like in a non-sexual way? Completely non-sexual. Okay. Yeah, maybe my shoulders. I mean, if I'm in shavasana, but um, it's happened a couple times. Like she got the the she got it, and and then and then it, and she brings that like you know myrrh or frankincense or whatever mm -hmm. she and it feels. Like, and my days changed. That's nice. Yeah, it That's was. Nice. It's just nice. Yoga works, Larchmont. Yeah. <laughs> I like the feeling, and I just got to experience this for the first time because I've never. Um, I just started going to the gym like three or four months ago, and um, I was able to do the on one of the machines in the entire stack of wow. of weights, and I just felt like such a Rockstar. like such a bag badass. Yeah, that's so badass. And then I hurt for three days afterwards. <laughs> that's totally badass. Um, I well, I'm new. I'm newish to stand up, but uh, I love because I'm also a planner, and this is what I'm going to talk about when I look out into somebody in the audience and I have a connection and he's this it's, it could be it's a guy and this has happened where he's just smiling at me and we banter and I get a huge laugh just from not even trying I didn't control it and I'm just present with this person that normally I'd be so worried and I'm in mm -hmm. front of people and I want to say the right thing but I've completely let everything go because I have this connection isn't that amazing with and I've found my radar has found a kind person in the audience who gets me, which is like have been an anathema to everything. And isn't it amazing how the words come to you? You don't have yeah. to like, you know, try mm. really hard to think of what to say. It's almost like uh, like the universe is speaking through you. Yes. You're just so relaxed and present yes. in that moment. That to me, like when I think of a higher power, mm -hmm. that's like one of the ways that it expresses itself. Or, yes. you know, when you were like... Uh, I'll take him to the yeah, hospital. Right. Or your channel. I, I, I'm completely not driving the car or I am right. or we're co-drive or I don't know, but I'm channeling like Martha Graham talks about just being the via channel. Yeah. You're just like, yes, that's a great idea. I can't believe I just said that. Yeah. And in, and it's um, it's just, again, this purity of just uh, like stepping, stepping aside and letting mm. the moment happen. Um and not being afraid I'm going to be attacked mm -hmm. or heckled or whatever, which hasn't really happened. And so it's just it's just been very meaningful for me. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Um, I'm trying to think of another one. <laughs> I love uh, when Herbert, our one of our dogs. Uh, readies himself to poop in the backyard <laughs> he you know he he arches but then it's almost like he 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 has to dial it in where he starts scooting forward like three or four steps <laughs> <laughs> and it just it almost looks like he's preparing my wife and i always joke uh uh we act as if he's about to do a handstand <laughs> And then we're like, oh, like, no, look what came out of them. That, you that's know. hilarious. You know, I like love that. their rituals. Yeah. Uh, give me one more, love. Let's see. I feel like it's funny. I feel like I'm being codependent with your love because you're reminding me of things. But mm. I I love when I'm – because I have a – I have a – I have my meditation practice is, is in a good place. And so there are certain times when I'll be sitting there in the light, the sunlight's hitting my face, and I'm just sitting there, and the cat just jumps on my lap and sits – 
and I've had this cat like before Larry, before my husband, and um, he tries to like kind of lick my fingers, which is annoying, and I can't. But it's just, I just feel so whole and so connected, and like, or and, like also, I'm getting the message like keep meditating. It's nice. It good. sounds it sounds really peaceful. Yes, it's probably the most peaceful. Yeah, that's a very peaceful moment. Fielding, thank you so much for uh, for coming by the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Many, many thanks to uh, Fielding. And she and her husband uh, have a web series that's really funny, and it's called Bitter Homes and Gardens. And I'll put the link up on the website, but you can go to bitterhomesandgardens.com. Uh, it's a web series of uh, scenes uh, of a couple uh, struggling in their marriage uh, to have intimacy, and there's about a lot more stuff than that, but it's it's really well done. You should check it out. Um, before I forget, this episode you're listening to will soon be transcribed and available on our website. Many thanks to Accurate Secretarial for donating their time and helping out the show. Uh, I also want to give some love to our sponsor, ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Because finding great talent can be tough. Thankfully, with ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within just 24 hours. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. And right now, you guys can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right. I'm not making it up for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com mental. That's ZipRecruiter.com mental. One more time. To try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com mental. And I haven't mentioned this uh, in a while on the show, but there's a couple of different ways that you can support the show if you're feeling so inclined. You can support us financially by going to uh, PayPal and making a one-time donation, or my favorite, going to patreon.com and becoming a monthly donor to the podcast. And through Patreon, I can give you guys free bonus content. I can share videos of uh, my life with you. Um... I put together a montage of Herbert, um, all kinds of stuff. I raffled off a hotel room for PodFest. Um, so go, you would go to patreon.com slash mentalpod for that one. Again, all of these links are on our, our website under the show notes. And um, you can support us non-financially by going to iTunes, writing something nice about us, giving us a good review that boosts our ranking brings more people to the show, you can spread the word uh, about the podcast through social media. That's a huge, huge help. Uh, every bit uh, counts. All right, let's get to some surveys. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself, it's literally never sunny in Rochester. I hate this fucking place. I think she should have her name legally changed to that. Um, her license plate would have to be about nine inches long, but... Uh, She's 21, 
she was raised in, a, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, never been the victim of sexual abuse. Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Was making out with a guy I met on Tinder, but I genuinely did not want to go any further. He did, and I said, no, I'm sorry, and said again that I didn't want to, and, well, he went for it anyways. On a bright note, um, his penis was very small, so it didn't feel real, and I was able to pretend it never happened afterwards. You know, um, it, first of all, that's absolutely sexual uh, uh, violation, uh, abuse, trauma, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And you know, obviously, you're trying to lighten it up by making the joke about his his penis, but um, I, that that's traumatic. You know what happened, and I really encourage you to. Try to um, put the humor aside because I'm sure it's much easier to pepper some humor in there than to feel um, what that must feel like to think back on that. Um, continuing. Now I feel like I'm being uh, pompous and condescending. Uh, she's been physically and emotionally abused. Um does my mom dragging me by my hair all the way up to my bedroom on various occasions count as physical abuse? I, I'm going to assume that uh, she's kidding, and she obviously knows that that is, but you never know. It's amazing how our brains will minimize stuff that happened to us. Uh, for so long, I felt like that was just what I deserved at the time as punishment. Not that I was a bad child at all, but I did have a little temper. I mean, I do remember it always hurting. Definitely without a doubt, though, I was emotionally abused. Oh, so she didn't, doesn't know if it counts as physical abuse. Yeah. Well, here's, I think here, here is uh, a litmus test for whether or not it was abuse. Would your parent do, do what they did on national television with all of their friends watching? Um... Definitely without a doubt, though, uh, I was emotionally abused by my mom, but I genuinely do not believe she did it intentionally or even realized how much she was damaging me. I honestly wouldn't even know where to begin in talking about that, though. And uh, it doesn't matter what her intent was. You know, what, it, what matters um, for you is to heal and to process that and talk to somebody about it. Uh, any positive experiences uh, with the abuser? Yes, I was leaving to go to college after a long break. Keep in mind, my mom never reveals how she is really feeling. The night before I was leaving, out of nowhere, she had bombarded me with texts saying, fuck you, don't even bother coming back next time, etc., etc. I know what you're thinking. How is this a positive experience? Well, next morning, when I was about to get into my car to leave, my mom came and hugged me goodbye, and right after, I saw her actually starting to cry, but she had turned around and walked away so fast. That was one of the first times in my life I saw her as a real human being with feelings. And that her being mean may a lot of times just be her not so healthy way of dealing with her emotions. I think you hit the nail absolutely on the head. Because um, I know your mom very well. I forgot to mention that, that your mom and I go back. Your mother and I knew each other as fetuses. I don't know how I can explain that. Um, but telephones were amazing back then. Let's just put it that way. 
darkest thoughts. I sometimes fantasize about hurting and even killing my boyfriend's cat, which is now technically my cat too. It is so social, cute, and loving, and loves me, but it is also so goddamn needy. I just want to put it in the hot oven. But please know that I would never and could never physically actually do this. I feel disgusting even writing this down. It's so good that you're writing it down, though. It's so good because it takes the power out of it. And good for you for writing something that's difficult to to, to write out. Um, and I'm just going to take a wild guess that... that your unmet needs, that ache you probably have deep, deep inside you, whether it's not even conscious or not, that cat probably reminds you of what you want, what you missed out on, that you were so deprived of love and affection. Just my two cents. I'm not a therapist, but I did tour shitty comedy clubs for 25 years, pleasing roughly half the room, half the week. So I think I know what I'm talking about. Darkest Secrets. I had a threesome with my cousin and my guy friend at college. My cousin and I have always kind of had a strangely close relationship growing up. Also, she is a girl as well, so for some societal reason, that makes the threesome a little less weird. Um... And uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. My boyfriend having sex with other women. I get so jealous of the thought sometimes, but still turned on. If it were to actually happen, I don't think I'd be able to deal with it afterwards. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To my boyfriend, I really, really, really don't like your cat. It wouldn't be so bad if he was old, but he is only two years old. That's like at least 10 more years with him. Yikes. P.S. Your taste in music pisses me off a lot. One last thing. I just want you to buy me dinner or something just because. Not because of a special occasion so you, quote, have to, and also not because you have to make up for the time I covered you. Just to show that you care. What, if anything, do you wish for? I want to feel the Pacific Ocean for the first time. I want to step off a plane and feel the California sun on me. I want to know that there is more to life, more things to love in this life that I just haven't seen yet. Have you shared these things with others? I told my mom about the California dream. She just rolls her eyes and says, be realistic. Stop wasting your time dreaming about things that will never happen. To which you should say, you are talking about yourself, Mom. I'm talking about myself. That'd be pretty harsh, but that's what I thought when I read this, is your mom sounds like somebody who has dealt with her pain by hunkering down and just doing doing that thing, that narcissist thing. You know, so many abused people... Um, view the world in a narcissistic way, I think, because they had to only think about themselves as a child because nobody else was. And then they they don't grow out of it. 
and they can't imagine somebody having a different experience than them or viewing the world differently. Uh, how do you feel after writing these things down? Really good, actually. Like I'm making some sort of a step in the right direction, but also anxious that I'm spending my time doing this instead of applying to more jobs. What, if anything, would you like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Music can be so powerful. The album Talking is Hard by Walk the Moon has randomly got me through this tough time in my life, especially the song Portugal. Thank you for sharing all of that. And um, it sounds like you still got some, uh, some light and some hope in you, and that's awesome. This is a, an awful moment filled out by Traveling Still, and he writes, My mom bouncing on the trampoline as she explains how she's kicking me and my service animal out. I'm terrified. I wouldn't be here if I hadn't exhausted all other options and not sure what comes after Plan Z. And there she is, bouncing on the trampoline, telling me that even though I was only here because I was trying to get my life back together, she's removing her support for me, bounce, and how hard I've made her life, bounce, and that I need to be a responsible adult and pull myself up with my bootstraps, bounce, and that this will be good for me, bounce. When I've got my life figured out without her support, I am buying a trampoline and destroying it. That is fantastic. That puts such a smile on my face. Oh my God, what a visual. I love when you guys paint a picture in your uh, in your surveys. It just makes my day. Uh, this is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Trojan Bunny, and he is uh, straight in his 40s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, ever been the victim of sexual abuse. Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Um, in middle school, when I was about 13 years old, I befriended a young married couple in the neighborhood uh, to, uh, to which I had recently moved. They were 19 years old. Uh, after about a year, the woman and I became flirtatious. One day, we were alone and we kissed each other. By the time I was not, I was 15 and she was 21, we had progressed to where she frequently performed oral sex on me and I performed sex acts with her breasts. Intercourse never happened because she felt that would be going too far. At some point, her husband knew what we were doing, but he was cool with everything. I can't remember if he initially encouraged his wife, if she ended up telling him, or if he just found out. I moved again before I turned 16 and soon lost contact with them. My feelings on this situation? Confused. At the time, it felt thrilling and a little scandalous. Now I wonder if I was sexually abused. It didn't feel like it at the time. Which is what a lot of boys that age um, will say. And then... They get to be older, and they look back at what a 13-year-old looks like or a 15-year-old looks like, and they feel differently about it because they get the point of view of the person who was the adult, and they see how inappropriate or criminal it was, you know, depending on the situation. And um, uh, legally... What happened is is criminal, and I think every listener, as I was reading this, went, 
you know, I was 13 year, years old. I befriended a young married couple. What is a young married couple doing hanging out with a 13-year-old kid? That, to me, right there is a bouquet of red flags. Um, and her saying that uh, intercourse never happened because she felt it would be going too far, that was her way, probably, of justifying um, it in her mind. You know, that that would be inappropriate. But what she was doing was okay. Um, and look, I, I don't want to demonize people in doing this show, but I, my goal is to help people give weight to their experiences because it is usually the thing that's blocking them from getting help, processing what they've experienced, and ultimately learning to embrace and enjoy life and love themselves and be able to share that love with other people and make the world a better place. Um, he's been physically and emotionally abused. Um, you know, I don't know if I've ever read a survey where a child who was taken advantage of came from a really nurturing environment. Maybe I have read them, but almost every single one, they were um, either severely neglected or verbally or physically or sexually abused in their home. And I think there is something that a perpetrator senses in a kid, a wounded kid, and I think it is like a pheromone to them. And I have the feeling that couple or that woman um, could sense that. Uh, physical abuse involving some hard slapping by my mother up until I was about 11 years old. One time she slapped the right side of my face so hard a booger came out of my nose and stuck to my left cheek. Another time, she went to slap me and I turned and ducked. She made contact with my back, leaving a red handprint on it. I hoped it would stay that way so I could go to school and show my teacher the next day. But it went away after 15 minutes. Um, that is so heartbreaking that that was your, that that was your hope for getting help. You know, that that's how deprived of a network of people who saw you that you felt safe with that you felt like you needed a handprint to show at school to find safety in your life I have deep abandonment issues due to emotional abuse. For example, when I was 10, my mother chased me around the dining room table because she wanted to slap me for throwing a math book down on the floor in frustration. She couldn't catch me and a few days later sent me to live with my father 2,000 miles away. By the time I was in high school, I was a loner into punk and heavy metal music, living like a hermit crab in my room. My father and stepmother and I had some arguments, but nothing I can remember. One day, when I was 16, my father sat me down and said, you are bringing the family down. Uh, quote, the family included my stepmother and toddler stepbrother and stepsister. 
My father told me that he and my stepmother were going shopping, and by the time they got back, I needed to be gone or ready to move out. My father helped me move my stuff to a friend's house. He told me goodbye, and I told him, have a nice life. I didn't speak to my father for five years. We then went another five years without communicating. We've been reconnected for about the last 10 years and have not said anything to each other about the day I moved out. I'd be really interested to hear what that would that conversation would sound like. Um, if you hear this survey being read um, and you ever do have that conversation with your dad, um, email me because I would love I would love to hear that. And uh, it might be something that could bring the two of you closer together. Um, assuming that he has you know, compassion for self, uh, inability to be compassionate or self-reflect. Um, any positive experiences with the abusers? I think my parents must have had some sort of trauma that caused them to have deficiency in their parenting. Um, I would say more than likely. Uh, darkest thoughts, killing my children so they won't grow up being miserable like me. Uh, darkest secrets, I have ha- I've paid for sex with prostitutes. Um, And by the way, that's a really common thing for uh, people who were sexually abused. Uh, Promiscuity, um, any way to be sexual um, that doesn't risk truly being seen or intimate with another human being. Uh, Even though you may deeply crave it, um, that's a really common pattern. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. My most common sexual fantasy is just to have sex with a different attractive woman each day. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to tell my ex-wife that I am sorry I didn't get help for my mental illness sooner. Over the years, I explained things away or justified my bad behavior until it was too late and the rot had set in. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish to have more days that I feel happy than days I am depressed. I am constant i'm currently in a constant state of depression and depression is also another um thing left in the wake of um abuse childhood abuse and man you experienced a lot of it you experienced physical emotional sexual mm. oh, the helicopter's coming Uh, Have you shared these things with others? I don't share anything with anyone because I have no friends and I don't relate to my family. I share my anxiety issues with my therapist, but I am afraid to share the dark stuff. How do you feel after writing these things down? Somewhat better, but still a little scared. Um, Buddy, open up. Open up with the dark stuff. Therapists want to help. A good therapist wants to hear it all. And most therapists, they have a similar dark streak running through them, which is what attracted them to the profession in the begin in, in the to begin with, because they you know, the the kind of the cliche is that a lot of therapists go into therapy because they want to help people, but also because they want to fix themselves and understand themselves better. Uh, this is a shame and secret survey filled out by Johnny Facade, and he is gay. He's in his 30s. He was raised in a 
slightly dysfunctional environment. Never been uh, sexually, physically, or emotionally abused. He writes, I feel guilty about having a mental issue when there are so many other people that had horrible things happen to them, and I have or had a decent family. Um, you know, as, uh, as Guy Branham shared, any child who grows up gay in our culture has experienced emotional abuse just by the very nature of the way the majority of society treats and views the LGBTQ community, there is abuse. Darkest thoughts. I could kill myself whenever I want, but there's too much collateral damage these days. There are people who would miss me and work would struggle without me, but many days I have a hard time caring about that. Many days I think of the days in grade school when I tried to kill myself and think, man, what an opportunity I missed. These days, if I got smoked in a car accident, I'm not sure I'd care. Darkest secrets. I was a cutter. I was in therapy when I was little and stopped taking the pills in high school because I found it easier to think without them than roam around in the fog that I had with them. You know, it it's it might be good to revisit that because, you know, medications change a lot all the time. And um, I have tried 20 different meds until I settled on the ones that work for me now. And it might be worth it. It would certainly be good to at least give it another shot so you can cross that one off the list. But um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I guess I knew I was gay in high school, but I was gripped with absolute fear. I wanted to go all in with a guy in photo class, but I wasn't sure why. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I want to tell my parents that I'm creative. I'd tell them now and that they should have fostered that, but I know that they wouldn't give it a second thought. What, if anything, do you wish for? I want to meet a good guy. I'm not cut out for the typical bang-slash-leave situation for the gay side. Um, have you shared these things with others? I want to tell my parents that I'm creative. I tell them now, but who gives a shit that was 30 years ago? I've talked with my current boyfriend about my life, but he's more into getting blown. Uh, how do you feel after writing these things down? It's cathartic, actually. I'm in tears now, but it's good to type it out to someone. And I'm, I feel very privileged that, that you took the time to write something so personal out. All of you that, that fill out these surveys, you know, it, it is, um, and I'm not just being, uh, maudlin here. It, it, it is a privilege to get a peek into, uh, your inner lives. And one of the reasons that I wanted to read your survey was, where you wrote, I've talked with my current boyfriend about my life, but he's more into getting blown. I just wanted to say, you deserve better. You deserve somebody that is into more than uh, sex with you. Unless that's your agreement with that person and that's what you want. But if you crave more, seek more. And if you can't find that, be working on yourself in the meantime because you will eventually, if you keep working on yourself, you will feel worthy. Like we talked about the self-love in the beginning of the episode, 
you will feel worthy of someone better. And it won't be a difficult decision because you won't be afraid of being alone because you will feel love for yourself. And being alone won't feel like isolation. You know, I hope that makes sense. Um, but you sound like a really, really sweet guy who has just not experienced intimacy yet. And there are people capable of intimacy everywhere. And it's why I'm such a big fan of support groups, because it's where I learned how to be intimate. And, you know, I just came from one of my support group meetings tonight, and it fills my soul, the people in that meeting. It is so safe, and there's so much laughter and raw fucking honesty, raw honesty. And I shudder to think what my life would be like if I was still trying to do it on my own. This is an awfulsome moment filled uh, filled out by a woman who calls herself here queer, filled with existential fear. You guys are the best. Uh, and her awfulsome moment at 22, reading the first young adult book I've ever read with a lesbian main character, my heart soaring at how familiar and right it felt, and then spending the next hour crying bitter, angry tears because I needed that, goddammit. Where the fuck were books like this when I needed them before the damage was done? Thank you for that. I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine what it would be like growing up feeling so completely marginalized. Thank you for sharing that. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself The Bench. And um, she's bisexual in her 30s, raised in a totally chaotic environment. Uh, she was a victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. My first encounter with sex abuse was when I was roughly three, and my seven-year-old cousin would be left to watch us while our parents were at the bar. He would take me to the closet, pull his pants down, and make me suck on his, quote, sucker. And if I didn't, he threatened to tell my mom I was a bad girl, and he would lock me in the closet again, which seemed more terrifying at the time than what he wanted from me. And he would make me watch porn and then take me up to the closet. I blocked this out for a long time. I remember when I was around eight or nine years old seeing a movie with this boy who was roughly the same age and his character triggered something in me and all I wanted to do was kill him. This insane urge to kill a little boy made me feel like I was a monster, that something was wrong with me, that I would want to kill someone. Horrible thoughts. I didn't realize until I had a little boy of my own and I couldn't breastfeed him because it made me feel dirty. I couldn't let him sit on my lap because all these horrible feelings of hate and disgust would come through and I was scared I was going to mess up my child in some way, mentally or emotionally. I went to counseling and committed to it for the first time because I didn't want to be that terrible person that I felt I was for wanting to kill that boy on TV because he reminded me of my cousin. When the revelation came through about it, it was like another puzzle piece was connected. Maybe I wasn't as bad as I had thought. When I was roughly four, one of my mom's boyfriends showed me his penis right in front of my mother. He said something along the lines of, she'd like a real man too, and my mom and him just laughed and started having sex. I remember trying not to cry 
or make any noise. Be the bench. Be the bench. Why couldn't I have just been a bench or a table, anything but a person? I was 19 and in the army. I went to a party and one of the weekends I was with my fellow comrades. I got really intoxicated, probably worse than ever because I hadn't drank much before that. I remember looking up in the middle of it and saw someone had a clown hat on as they stood in line to fuck me. Luckily, that was the only thing I remember as I was blacked out the rest of the time. I woke up to my boyfriend who had watched. He broke up with me because I was a slut. I then went to the base hospital a few days later when I had enough courage, only to be told that I had chlamydia and the soldier who was attending to me told me I was a disgrace to the uniform, and I believed she was right. No nice girl would go put herself in a situation like that. Uh, started going to the base counselor. No nice girl would put herself in Started going to the base counselor. I was released for PTSD and I was so far away from home. If I pressed charges against the guys who did it, I wouldn't be released until I got a trial, and I knew a girl who had been in out-processing for 17 months with no sign of a trial date. I needed my family. I needed support right then, not two years from then, so they released me on PTSD due to my childhood abuse. During my DBT treatment and counseling over the past 10 years, I learned through a few triggers that resulted in severe flashbacks that I was not just the victim. I remembered when I was roughly four to five, my cousin and I started humping. She was only three to four years old. And then I remembered my other cousin, who was two to three years older than me, doing it to me. I am so ashamed of myself, and I don't know how to process the fact that I did what I did. Why couldn't I just be the bench? First of all, you were a child, and the actions of a child who is being sexual with another child, um, you know, where it's not exploratory and mutual, the, the responsibility of that is on the adults who sexualized whatever child taught that to whatever child. It is zero responsibility on the part of that child. That child doesn't know. They are still innocent. It breaks my heart when people beat themselves up for things they did when they were children. Um, She's been physically and emotionally uh, abused. My childhood, when I think back on it... um, I have this vision in my head of being a microparticle with the chaos of Saturn's rings, a never-ending cycle of rock and ice spinning around each other with a fear of crashing together, but a bigger fear of never colliding. My mother was an alcoholic and narcotic addict. I truly believe she suffered from borderline personality disorder. I never did anything right for her. She would often go into screaming fits. She only acted this way with me or the man she was with, never my older brothers or anyone else. Everyone else who knew her saw something very different. She treated my younger cousin like her daughter and me like the ugly stepchild. I grew to love my cousin being around because I got to see my mom be compassionate and loving in a way that I never was able to appreciate. And that seemed like enough for me. Wow. Darkest thoughts. 
I love getting physically hurt because then I get attention from those I love. It's like that's that's where we go when when we're fed crumbs. It's like all we can imagine love taking the form, you know, f- food for our soul taking the form on, is more crumbs. We can't even like you can't even wrap your head around having a network of friends that love you and see you and accept you for who you are and are there for you, who you can trust. Like the 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 most that you can imagine right now is being physically hurt and getting attention because you're in physical pain. That that's like where that's where we go when we don't process our trauma or we don't have healthy emotional behavior modeled for us darkest secrets. I'm ashamed of the fact that I scratch and cut my vagina up every single time I go to the bathroom. I hate my vagina so much it disgusts me. From the time I was little, around four to five, I had severe eczema and my mother took me from doctor to doctor to look at my vagina because it was always red and raw and I had to just sit there with my legs spread apart and some stranger touching me down there. I felt dirty and ashamed and I hated it. My vagina hurts every second of the day, and when I have sex with my husband, it can be excruciating because it's so raw down there, but sometimes I like the pain, other times I just get disgusted with myself, and that's all I can think about. I cheated on my husband a year after we married. He left for work for six months, per the usual, and the week he came back, I ran into an old flame who told me everything I wanted to hear that my husband wasn't telling me, and I was that pathetic Uh, that we made out and then tried to have sex, but we stopped. It's been almost five years and I still can't bring myself to tell him. I never have cheated before or after uh, on him. I don't know why I did it and I hate myself that I could do that to someone I love so much. I'm not justifying that why you did it. Um, I'm not justifying that you did it, but I think anybody listening to me reading this survey is saying you're in pain, you're lonely, you're craving intimacy, and you don't have it anywhere in your life. So, you know, you're looking to get it from the kiss of a guy who tells you nice things or imagining getting physically hurt and people caring for you. And you deserve better. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I imagine being raped by my husband. Sometimes I'll have him pull my hair, or if he's behind me and has an arm around me, I'll press my neck into his arms like he's strangling me. Sometimes the only time I can orgasm is when I feel dominated. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to talk to my mother, who passed away right after I was, quote, medically discharged from the military. She died from an infection caused by a dirty needle. I blamed her for everything, not being there for me emotionally, mentally, or physically as a child. I blamed her for everything, and it's only now, being a mom myself, that I realize that she tried as hard as she could, but she lost to the disease. I want her to know that I am strong. I see her in me. I I know now that she was stronger than I ever gave her credit for. I will not let this illness take control of me like it did her. I am lucky to be alive in this time because back when she was my age, mental illness was not talked about. It was a weakness. I understand to a degree why she didn't seek help. 
What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish to always manage my illness. I do not want to pass down the cycle of abuse that's been going on for who knows how long in my family. Have you shared these things with others? Some stuff, most of it to my counselor, some to my husband, but he doesn't like to think of me that way, so I stopped talking to him about it. And this was another reason that I wanted to, to read your survey. Um, you know, in addition to it being so beautifully expressed, painfully beautifully expressed, um, I just feel like I have to speak to the people who are accepting non-communicative partners in their lives. Don't settle for somebody who isn't interested in your emotional life. Don't. You go through life once. Why would you, this is a horrible analogy, but why would you keep a car mechanic that doesn't want to talk about trouble you're having with your car? If you wouldn't keep a fucking car mechanic, why would you trust somebody to help you with your soul? How do you feel after writing these things down? I realized throughout the survey that I have forgiven my mother. It makes me realize that I haven't yelled at her urn for a long time now, and that must mean I've come to some kind of realization that I can never get an answer from her, but I can accept that. That's a nice feeling. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Just know that each moment carries with it an emotion of its own. Nothing is permanent. And no one has the right to tell you to not feel what you are feeling. Your feelings are as valid as anyone's. We are all human and we are all worthy of love. I have to end on that because that's just, your, your entire survey is so touching and beautiful and painful. <laughs> um, but you are a fucking survivor. You are a survivor. And um, I really hope that, that you can, anybody listening, I hope you can move towards that place of self-compassion and self-love. Because just the little bit of it that I've done, life is amazing. There's still difficulties and disappointments and heartbreak. But there's like this foundation underneath it all that makes getting out of bed in the morning not drudgery. And many days, even excitement. And that's there, I think, for all of us if we're willing to do the work and open up and ask for help, connect to another human being. And I hope you heard something tonight that uh, inspired you, entertained you, filled your drive home or your commute um, and just never ever forget that you're not alone not by any means and thanks for listening everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way bizarrely